Welcome to season three of the Jesus Said Love podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills. And I'm your other host, Brett Mills. We are founders, we're creatives, we're entrepreneurs, and we're activists. We're musicians, and we love Jesus. We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community, and this is the space we'll get to talk about. Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together to create more space for love. Hey, Emily. Oh, hey, Emily. Yes, you're That's, doing the quiet right. intro. Uh. <laughs> so I've discovered on TikTok, oh, there are gosh. these people that get real close to the microphone and they make all these noises like this and they have sounds that they're doing <laughs> and they have like 5 billion followers what is the world coming to? Well, we've, we've lacked connection, and that is the whole ASMR movement. If you want to get real, that's, that's and really And I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I have been drawn into its trance at times. Right. Because I find myself thinking, this is theater of the, of the absurd, mm-hmm. and then I'm strangely drawn into the light like mm. a fly at night. Off to the flame. I know. It's crazy. Anyways, I don't know why that was going to be my... Welcome and intro for today, but it is ASMR <laughs> Brett is in the house. Get ready throughout this interview. You're going to start hearing this and you're going to just want to stop and go, oh yeah. <laughs> that is so weird and strange, but I'm sure some people might love it and replay that intro just to hear you do that. You mm-hmm. never know. They might. I Maybe never I'll know. join TikTok with an account where I can do that because okay. I have microphones. There you go. <laughs> Um, well, I am, that was such a weird introduction. So here we are. Here we it are. Is, <laughs> it is coming um, up on the holidays. And um, our first recording with our podcast guest today didn't go, we had a technology mm. fail. Mm-hmm. And so, but this I think will actually be better because we get to see each other, yes. sit with each That's other right. in person That's in our right. studio. And we are excited to welcome Holly Oxhandler onto mm. the show, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Mm. And she is a professor. She's a researcher, social mm-hmm. worker. She's an author. She is a podcaster. What else do I add to the list? She Mother. is an ox handler. <laughs> She's going to handle some oxen. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not today, but yeah. But we have Holly on to talk about her new book called The Soul of a Helper, Seven Stages to Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself So You Can See It in others. Mm-hmm. I was super excited to hear that you had published this book. It's coming out in January, mm-hmm. but I couldn't wait to talk about some of the content of this because first of all, I just feel like I need the whole book in my life mm-hmm. right now as someone in a helping for profession who a lot of times just feels like I don't really always do it well. And mm-hmm. yet I'm super always drawn to helping and caring. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just excited to have you on the show. So welcome. Mm, Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here today. Thank you for having me. Well, and it's actually good to have you in person because, you know, we've had to do these dead gum podcasts (laughs) over the internet. (laughs) I know. And I will say this, in our three seasons, yours is the first and only one that has been corrupted. Oh, no way. So I feel like we have a good track record of not having to repeat interviews, but I hate that you're the one that drew the short straw. You know, no, I just invite this as an opportunity for us to record this in person because I am in Waco and we can do this. So mm. it was it was just meant to be. Absolutely. Mm. So 
Well, okay, tell us the big idea behind what is this book? What is it as a resource? And, you know, what's the big idea behind it that you researched? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great place to start, Emily. Um, so I would say that the big idea behind this book really starts at understanding that there is an intersection between our faith and our spirituality um, and our mental health. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of spaces, Um, when we're only thinking about our mental health or when we're only thinking about our spirituality, we don't always include that intersection between the two. And so the big idea to start would be recognizing that there is an intersection and that we each embody that intersection within Mm -hmm. us. Um, At the core of that, I would say, is this deep understanding and knowing that we are beloved as we are, Mm. um, that there's nothing we can do to earn love or affection or um, power. Those things, really at the core, it is just knowing that we are loved Mm. as we are um, and that we're messy and complex human beings. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, we're wired with that complexity. Um, so that would be where I would start would, mm-hmm. would be recognizing that intersection and at the center of it, knowing that we are beloved. You know, I think, um, when you're talking about those two components mm-hmm. and you take them as just individual components, mm-hmm. faith, and then you take mental health mm-hmm. and alone, those things are hugely sometimes messy, hairy, complex, nebulous sometimes like, but then to, especially to marry those two things and and really to give language to saying, you, this really is an intersection we Mm -hmm. have to begin talking about. Mm -hmm. It can be, is it controversial to you? (laughs) You know, like, did you find that there was a controversy surrounding how do you do the faith and mental health thing when there's been historically so much abuse there? Yeah. Or negligence. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Well, I will just nod in agreement to what you're saying around the the complexity um, and the hairiness. And I'm trying to think of the words that you used around mm-hmm. that. And I think that that, that there is um, the, the, the real... Um, struggle though is recognizing that even though these are areas of our lives that we don't talk about very often and that they are complex and complicated and sticky areas, we also know that over 80% of us are going to meet criteria for a diagnosable mental illness by the time that we're a young adult or by middle age. Mm. 80% of all people? Over 80% of us. Great day. Yeah, we're not getting out of this journey yeah. without some struggle. Right. And it doesn't have to, you know, some of them may be personality disorders. Some of them may be anxiety disorders, depression. PTSD. Um, PTSD, mm-hmm. that's right. The list goes on. Um, but one study showed that we met this this number around 80% um, by, like I said, young adulthood. And they tracked this cohort for a long period of time while another one tracked this cohort for a long period of time. And, and it was it was the same number by middle age, like I mentioned. Yeah. So 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 it is 
a complex and complicated area, but it's not something that we're not dealing with. That's right. And even though like the National Alliance on Mental Illness will say that one out of five of us are currently struggling with a mental illness, Mm. um, we know though that over a long period of time, it's going to be most of us. Mm. And we know that over the last year and a half or two years, we've seen those numbers have gone up to between 30 to 40% of us um, experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression in the United States. Absolutely. So, so I just, I would definitely want to nod to that big piece. And then the same with our faith and our spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that um, over 70, it's a 77% of folks in the U.S. consider their religion to be at least somewhat or very important in their lives. Mm-hmm. We know that um, most adults, I think it's about 80%, consider themselves to be spiritual. Mm-hmm. So again, like this is an area of our lives that it is complex and complicated. We can't fit it into a neat little clean box, mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, but it still touches each of our lives. Right. Yeah. So if you take if you take those concepts and you're talking about the intersectionality between the two, yeah. But the book itself is called the Soul of a Helper. That's right. Yes, that's right. So yeah. So why you're not? This isn't just like a a, a re, even though it is research backed. It is. Yeah. Um. But this isn't simply just about the research. Right. That's right. Okay. So this talk is about, about that. Yeah. So as you mentioned, the title is called The Soul of the Helper. And and I argue in this book that really each of us, um, regardless of what we do, whether we're a parent or a partner or a caregiver or a teacher or a social worker or a mental health care provider or a faith leader, on and on a and friend. on. A friend. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Like we all have the capacity to be a helper in one way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really this is for all of us, this, mm-hmm. this book, um, And so understanding this intersection, not only in the complicated ways that we just talked about, but how it is relevant for each of us in the ways that we help and serve and care for others is what I'm hoping folks understand out of this book. So it really walks through this journey of uh, of being a helper Mm -hmm. and recognizing that As we go out to serve others, if we are not paying careful attention to our inner landscape, in particular at this intersection of faith and mental health, we really run the risk of unintentionally causing a lot of harm Mm. as we go out and do and alleviate and advocate and serve. And and there are good things that we do within Mm. those efforts to serve, but we've got to be paying attention to what's going on within us, Mm -hmm. within our own inner landscape, um, because as I talk about, we could really be working out a lot of those <laughs> struggles when Hello. it comes to our faith and mental health Hello. in the ways that we serve others. What and- if portions <laughs> of our faith have caused our mental health? Mm, it's a really... Issue, mental yeah. health, yeah. Like mental health issues and yeah, struggles. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. church trauma. Yes. Past, yes. Pastor, pastress yeah. trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that is absolutely a form of trauma that folks experience. And I do think um, that that it adds another layer of having to work through um, that trauma and how do we heal from it, recognizing that this intersection is still there, that um, we still need to pay attention to how our faith and mental health work in tandem together, but we've got to heal from that trauma that is very real and that so many folks unfortunately experience and navigate and walk through. Um, And 
yeah, on, on that mm-hmm. path of recovery, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. know, there's so much, um, we were a story forward organization. Mm-hmm. We are big fans of narrative story work mm-hmm. and have been impacted directly as individuals, as a marriage and our whole staff and going through yeah. Allender methodology of story work. Um, and I think one of the things that is so interesting to me mm-hmm. along the journey of helping others mm-hmm. is that we are often drawn to the very thing mm-hmm. that has hurt us or that we're longing yep. for healing in. Yep. And and we're we're really blind to it. Yeah. And that's some of the harm. And I think in my yeah. own life, some of the ways that whether it's my Enneagram or my own trauma, whatever, it's the intersection of all of that, right? It's not just one or the other. It's like we are these whole beings. So I bring my Enneagram, I bring my Myers-Briggs personality, Mm -hmm. I bring the strengths, and then I also bring my trauma story to bear on the work I'm doing. And um, the invitation is that as as we're serving, we can actually see ourselves more clearly. Yeah. If we will be willing yeah. to do that. Yeah, that's good. That's a lot. That takes a lot of courageous work though, I think. Yeah. And, but we do have to be paying attention to, you know, we, we may have because of our story and, and our background and all those layers that you just mentioned, we may have a very unique and, and, um, focused perspective to be able to address some areas that need serving and supporting Mm -hmm. and healing. Um, But again, we just can't release or let go of or lose sight of the fact that we are worth that healing as well within ourselves. Um, Because I think as helpers, we're so wired to be, like you said, forward thinking and thinking of others and what do they need and how can I help them and serve them and what are the, the areas that I can support? But if we're not paying attention to those areas within us, my fear and what we see within a lot of the research is that we will experience burnout mm-hmm. um, and then when we don't have anything left to draw on mm-hmm. um, within our well to serve others, my fear is that we're serving and giving from that place of burnout and that the folks that we're trying to help instead are on the receiving end of our pain. Yeah. So like, I mean, I know I see the Richard Rohr books and I love, mm-hmm. I love that because mm-hmm. I, I cite Rohr <laughs> so much in this book. Um, but he writes, um, in, um, everything is spiritual. Nope. Just kidding. Everything belongs. Everything belongs. Uh-huh. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that, um, whatever pain is not transformed will be transmitted. Oh, good. Yeah. And it's, it's exactly, yeah, Gosh. it's exactly that, that, yeah. We have to do that inner work of, of transforming that pain, healing that pain, um, so that in our efforts to help and serve, we're not just transmitting it onto those who are vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. One of the scripture passages that kind of I was awakened to along this journey um, within Jesus Said Love was the Isaiah 58 passage of true fasting. And mm. so the prophet goes on to talk about, this is the kind of fasting I've chosen, says the Lord. And it's, um, you know, it it's serve the the mm-hmm. needy, clothe mm-hmm. the naked, feed the poor, provide the wanderer, the mm-hmm. immigrant with shelter. Mm-hmm. And then it says, then your healing will appear. Mm-hmm. Then your light will break forth like the noonday. Mm-hmm. And for so long in my life, I really thought I had to be perfect and healed mm-hmm. in order to go. Mm-hmm. And what I've recognized is that 
that those that were serving that from in the faith in in my Christian faith, you know, from Old Testament to New Testament, mm-hmm. the the immigrant is always among us. The mm-hmm. poor is among us. The mm-hmm. homeless is among us. And so they are my opportunity mm-hmm. to see my own story and mm-hmm. my own self, mm-hmm. you know, more cl- clearly. Yeah. yeah. So I I, I think um, what I'm excited about to read fully in your book, not just like mm-hmm. the sample chapters, mm-hmm. but these stages. Yeah. Of yeah. really seeing yeah. and growing. And and can yeah. you define, kind of take us through what those stages maybe are? Yeah. How did you come up with stages? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Because she's a, a doctor. I know. And I she's an ox handler. <laughs> that's how you handle oxes. You can make some lists of stages. I just love it because I feel like it gives so much good, like context to it. Mm-hmm. Is this a static stage, a linear? No, gosh, okay. no. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, no. So so as you're you're noting too, which I wish I could say that because I'm an ox handler or my, <laughs> my doctor, that's how, you know, but honestly, this actually, the, the stages really came out of like, you know, when you're getting ready in the morning and you don't have all the distractions in front of you. Mm. And then all of a sudden, like there's this, oh, yeah. like that's how this kind of sifts in and like shifts together. Mm. And I mean, it really was more of that and a lot of just wrestling with the data and sitting with the data and embodying it and practicing and living into it that I write about in these mm-hmm. chapters. Um, it's kind of, they, they organically sort of emerged mm-hmm. and surfaced. Um, so, um, but I'm, I'm happy to go through them. So the, there are seven stages that are outlined in this book and just as a overarching overview, it's, they go from, um, speed to slow, steady, um, shift, wait, nope, nope, just kidding. Hang on. Speed, (laughs) speed, uh, slow, steady, still see shift and serve. Okay. And the understanding of these chapters is this, this recognition that like, a, we're operating at a pace that is not sustainable as helpers, mm-hmm. I think, in the ways that we're going out and serving others. It is just, we are in a go, go, go culture. And it's not only within us, but it's surrounding us within yeah. our culture that we are just pressed to go. Um, so the first chapter is recognizing the speed at which we've been operating at mm. for as long as many of us have existed mm-hmm. or can remember. Um, then being able to slow down and learning how to um, kind of exist within that slower pace, mm-hmm. recognizing that that's really hard. And so in order to kind of stay in that slower pace, we need to be able to create structures and scaffolding to steady us mm-hmm. and help us to continue to live into that slower pace so that we can be, get to a point of being able to be still, mm-hmm. which is so, I mean, this this was the chapter that was like, Oh, it's very hard um, mm. to be in that stillness. It's it's there's a lot of reasons for that, but um, but we ultimately we want to move into that space of stillness, and it's not until we are able to be still that we can actually see the mm. sacred within us. Okay, um, and then only by identifying and seeing the sacred within us are we then able to shift and fully recognize the sacred that's within everyone around Mm. us, that we did nothing to earn. We did nothing to hustle for. Mm -hmm. We didn't need to... 
there's, there's nothing we needed to do to receive that mm. sacred within mm-hmm. us, that image of God, that divine spark. Um, and then from that place, we're able to shift toward ex- extending compassion towards ourselves and mm. towards others um, so that we can then go out and serve from a place of abundance and recognition of that divine spark within mm-hmm. others. So, And so those stages are mm-hmm. kind of moving like cyclically. We yes, kind of ebb and right. flow yeah. out of those stages. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, as I write, you, you know, I've got to yeah. write in a linear way so that <laughs> yeah, can follow. Sure. But the reality is, is that like we were talking about earlier, life is messy and it's complicated and mm-hmm. it's complex. And there may be times that I see the sacred within someone else and I am quickly yanked back to that space of, you know, hustling and running and going and, yeah. you know, and it doesn't take much for, right. for me even to, um, to be in that place. Um, but these stages really serve as again, like a structuring format so that mm. it's like, okay, remember I need to find those steadying practices that will help me to be still so that I can see the sacred mm-hmm. within and then so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, it's a lifelong journey. I mean, like yeah. so many other, you know, I think about, um, uh, well, we were just talking about Felina Hewitt's earlier mm-hmm. and, and in her book, Pilgrimage of a Soul, she has these various movements that again, similarly, they're, they're not linear. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's no constant, right? right? Like, I mean, life is not constant. So, so we, we mm. breathe deep and we mm-hmm. just take what the next moment offers and see how we can use that as we're moving through these seven stages. I think when I, when I think about speed, ver- the speed at which we live, and when I think about stillness yeah. in terms of helping and serving, I think about my own maybe, uh, the sense of urgency that comes when there is a problem or where there is Mm -hmm. a need Mm -hmm. that I feel like I'm out of resources to help effectively, or it gets back into my kind of cycle, Mm -hmm. trauma cycle Mm -hmm. of like, go find a way, go make something happen. Yep. You know, um, and I do that. It, it becomes so quick if I if I don't pause and get still and own my own sense of like confronting. Am I trying to save mm-hmm. <laughs> someone from pain? Uh huh. Right. And from bearing maybe their own consequences. Mm. And that's really hard for me. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like I want to alleviate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is so yeah, deeply rooted It is as a helper. Yeah. And it's so nuanced too, because I also know that, you know, there are really good things that we can go out and do and help other folks that like, it is ours to do, to go out sure. and to do that work, to help and alleviate that pain. Um, and then sometimes it's not, but that discernment process is, yeah. it's hard. And, and again, it's really hard too, when you're just in that go, 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 go mode. And some of that go, go, go is because of, like I said, the culture that we're in and Uh and our surrounding structures and systems. Some of that is because of messaging that we've picked up ourselves along the way. Mm -hmm. Some of it is because of messages that our systems operate within. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of it is, you know, out of that need to hustle for our worth um, and the sense of like, well, I have to do all these things because if I don't do all these things, I'm going to be rejected. 
Yes. Um, yeah. And it, it's going to let them down. That's right. And yep. then they're not going to like me yep. or, yep. Yep. or I'm going to fail at what I'm doing or I'm not going to do it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I could go right around the Enneagram circle yeah, right now exactly. with, with all the reasons yeah. for why we hustle. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. So in your, um, in your book, you, you talk a little bit up front about why this subject matter was important mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. and some of your own story about wrestling with mental health differences, mm-hmm. struggling. And so share a little bit with our listeners about your own personal journey of, of what this book really led you back into. Yeah. Oof, man. Hmm. <laughs> so... It's, it's, I take a deep breath because this book, it really did lead me back into Mm. it. I don't know that I would have wrestled with or made sense of as much as I did had I not had this practice of waking up each morning to write this book. So I really do want to honor that. Mm. Um, yeah. So with regard to the, the backstory, I mean, I write in this book about how I grew up in a home that, you know, there were a lot of good memories and there were good things. Um, but there also was a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. that my sister and I had experienced and grown up around. Um, and there was abuse, rejection. Um, it just, it was, it was, it was a really difficult environment to grow Mm -hmm. up in. Um, thankfully my mom, when I was, um, I think it was in fourth grade that, that she started the divorce process and then it, it was finalized a little bit later, but, but she ultimately left my biological father mm-hmm. and I write about that in the book. And, um, in that process, sh- thankfully, um, she had someone who was like, you know, I think it would be wise for the girls to start seeing a therapist. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so from an early age around 10, I started, um, you know, just seeing someone to process my feelings and set my mask down mm-hmm. and stop pretending that everything was great and fine mm-hmm. to make everybody else happy. But I could mm-hmm. finally be honest about where I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was such a gift in so many ways because it got me comfortable with this experience of mental health treatment right. as a kid. Um, and it's something that I have continued on mm-hmm. even as an adult. Um, but I also realized like as I was experiencing some of these traumatic events that, as you mentioned, like ultimately did lead to a lot of struggles with depression and anxiety mm-hmm. um, because of that trauma mm-hmm. that I grew up with, which, you know, again, it's nothing that I caused. It's mm-hmm. nothing that I did. It's right. not, you know, um, it's not my fault or anything like that, but it's just, it's been a part of my mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm. Um And so as that was going on, I simultaneously was navigating these layers with my faith. Mm -hmm. And, and I write about how like one day in fourth grade where I had a teacher who, um, it was our religion teacher. And she was saying, you know, if you get a divorce, you're going to hell. Oh, right. And yeah, this was a a pretty conservative, clearly point of view. Yes. With, was it a private school system? Religious school? Yeah, it was a Catholic school. (laughs) No, it wasn't. I mean, we did have nuns at the school, but it wasn't a nun who was saying it at that time. So, (laughs) 
Um, but and so the shame. Yeah, I mean, and my sister and I were the only kids that we knew in the school whose <sighs> parents were going through a divorce. My goodness. So there was a lot of. It just was very difficult to experience. And meanwhile, knowing even at a young age, like this is good. This divorce is going to be good for our family, right? right? Um, so I don't, so, so that launched me into pretty early deconstruction around like, how does this all fit? Cause this doesn't make sense to me. Like I can't, what kind of God would ask and command that you stay in an abusive situation? That's exactly right. right. That's the question that you can't really name, but that you know, in your body, that's exactly right. And that's, yeah. Yep. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it. So that early questioning and deconstructing, um, happened around then. And I was grateful to have therapists who, and I talk about Peter, who's really good at talking about, um, faith as it related to mental health treatment, um, not to impose or push, but to say, Hey, that's a part of who you are that belongs here. Meanwhile, having faith leaders who are like, I don't know how to I don't know how to respond to what you're going through at home. Like I can't yeah. help you. Um, so that it just that wrestling. Yeah. So you've got yeah. you've got this faith component that wants to keep it all about doctrine and spiritual theology yeah. and doesn't really is not equipped to deal with mental health issues, which right. is the majority of their congregants. That's right. Are dealing yeah. with some sort of mental health challenge or, or, have, mental or have. Past. Yes. Right. Eighty percent. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> Brett's listening. He's like, I'm sure I'll yeah. remember it's eighty percent. Um and so yeah, but faith leaders don't want to touch the mental health aspect. But then you also have other right. mental health professionals yep. who don't want to talk about faith, That's which is seventy-seven percent right. of their mm-hmm. clients mm-hmm. are saying this is an important part of who I am. Yeah, that's right, and and it's how I cope with these hard things in life yeah. too. Yeah. So how did how did Peter do it so right? Mm. Do you keep up with Peter? So or do you know where I he's love at? that you asked that. So I did. He Peter stood out. and I, yeah, we we kept in touch. We we reconnected. I should say we reconnected. I think around two thousand nine or two thousand ten. Okay. Um, and he actually just passed away like oh. about a year ago. Wow. Yeah, but we stayed in touch, and um, he. I mean, I I'll, I can share this. Like he he asked to read like the the book proposal to get a sense of the book before mm. he passed away. I mean he. He, he knew that he would be dying soon. Um, but he told me the last time I talked to them on the phone, um, that like, he's looking forward to reading the book, even whenever he knew that he wouldn't be here for it. But it makes me so sad, but he studied, I mean, we've got lore books here and like he, he was a student at the center for, um, action and contemplation. He was a student with a living school. Wow. And that was, I didn't, I didn't even know that. I think that was around the time that I was seeing him as a kid too, but wow, yeah, I know. So he came at his practice with such an integrated yes, it mentality. Just, yes. It was just part of my culture in the same way that so many other layers of intersectionality we would be a part of who I am. He welcomed it in that space without mm. overly emphasizing it, without underemphasizing it or saying like, no, we don't talk about that here, which I've had therapists say okay. that too. Okay. Um, but wow. yeah, he just was He's a gift. That's yeah. really that's really incredible. Yeah. Um, as as you kind of put this 
book out into the world who I know, I know it's for all of us mm. because all of us are helping in some way. Who do you really hope gets it? It's mm. a good question. Mm. I hope, I hope that the person who loves to serve others, who loves to help, who wants to help, who sees the way that helping and serving does help heal this world. I hope that they get this book not only to refill in the ways that they then go out and serve others, but I really hope that they are able to read this book ultimately to wake up to the sacred within themselves Mm -hmm. for them to see and recognize that they are beloved that there is that divine spark within them, that they are worth tending to and caring for the gift of their life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, yeah, Mm. yeah, that, that they're worth caring for. And I think there's a lot of us out there who, I mean, I know I'm going to be needing to lean on this book for the rest of my life, but um, I really, really hope those who are feeling weary pick this book up and, that it offers a sense of hope. What does, what would be some clues for those of us who may not believe we're weary, like Brett is weary <laughs> over there? Oh, st- I'm, I'm calling I'm, you out. I had like three questions I was about to ask. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You can still ask them. Oh, I will. But Just what? Keep going. Oh, don't fall asleep. I'm on not me. falling asleep. You're tired. You're really tired. I am tired, but I, weary. you think you just called me out. What would I, be a sign? <laughs> no, my question was before I looked over. That ones need to read the book. Isn't that correct? <laughs> this is specifically a book for ones. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what would be a sign of the weary? How do we know we're getting weary? Mm, what are some burnout mm, signs? Mm. That um, maybe we need to be on guard for. You mentioned earlier how we can transmit pain. Yes, that's right. And not even be aware of it. That's right. Um, So so how do we know and kind of start waking up to like, Mm -hmm. am I, do I, am I okay? Mm -hmm. You know, am I getting too tired? Am I getting... Too bristly, mm-hmm. too short. What what are those burnout kind of signs? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And and I write about it from I want to start with some grace yeah. in my answer to this because I write about um these like stages of change that are tied to addiction mm-hmm. and the fact that we oftentimes we're in this pre-contemplation stage where we don't even realize that we're getting crispy and burning out, right? Like we, we're not even aware of it. We're in that pre-contemplation. And it isn't until we, we do move to that contemplation stage where we're like, oh, oh, I think maybe I am. So, so I want to start just by extending some grace yeah. that, yeah. Um, but I think some early, some early signs would be you know, paying attention to how much sleep you're getting. Mm. Um, how much time are you offering to work or to others as compared to yourself? Um, when was the last time you took even an afternoon just to yeah. like do nothing? Mm. Um, mm. Paying attention to how much time you are in that, maybe that forward thinking space of like, what mm. are the things that need to be done? The checklist, the to-do items. Uh, maybe thinking about... Um, and reflecting upon like, you know, what is it that, that you're taking into your body in terms of mm-hmm. like food and drink and, mm-hmm. 
you know, and maybe some days having that extra cup of coffee is not a big deal, but like if you're doing it cause you're feeling the external pressure, mm-hmm. it may be worth just pausing and thinking, is, is this what I need to be doing mm-hmm. to care for me well mm-hmm. right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not out of a space of shame, but just, just that really subtle shift, I think. Yeah. Um, but th- paying attention to the things that we take in, how we're spending our time, um, maybe just again, like how we're feeling. And then, um, like I said, like when was last time, like, again, you just did nothing or you played or yeah. can you define nothing? Oh, that's a good question. Well, it, I think it would be different for everyone. Welcome to the researcher in me. Like, <laughs> like what would be like just sitting in a chair and staring? Is that nothing? I mean, for some people, I think that would be, you know, that is their way of decompressing. I think of, um, it could be just, you know, reading a novel. So there's no to-do list or agenda tied to it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to read a self-help book. That's going to help me with something else. Mm-hmm. Um, or write a self-help book, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I think doing something like that, or you know, maybe for some, it's like going out and garden because in gardening, because like there's no there's no productivity tied to it. Like mm-hmm. that's what I would say would be mm-hmm. the answer. Like whatever it is that you're doing that you don't feel like you're doing it because you have to to achieve something to yeah. mark it off a checklist or anything mm-hmm. like that. But just uh, I'm going to rest, or I'm going to. I'm going to do yoga for an yeah. hour because that's just what I, I need. My body needs right yeah. now or whatever. Yeah. yeah. There, and rest is one of those, I think, um, things that looks different on everyone. Yeah. And there's, there are, there's moving rest, right. things that's that are right. restful and restorative yes. that are movement Yes, and, and things that are tied sheerly to pleasure. Yeah. yeah like, right. Like just... <laughs> <laughs> TikTok. You've just been waiting to do yeah, that the whole time. <laughs> if you want to do that for an hour. I was sitting with the headphones on. Okay. For one whole oh my gosh. Hour. It's amazing. I was I, waiting for the right moment. There you and go. That was it. You found it. Bravo. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I well, and you, your mention with rest, I would elevate. Um, Dr. Sondra Dalton Smith has a book called Sacred Rest, oh, um, good. and it talks about these seven different types of rest that mm. are, as you mentioned, there's rest that is, um, you know, moving rest mm-hmm. or. Um, uh, like stimulation, like not having noise and sounds and things all the time. Yes. Um, it's just those different types of rest I think are important. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. that's good. Brett, what was your other question you were waiting to ask? I'm going to throw it back to you. Uh, I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, should men read this book? Should what? Should Should men men read this book? Yes. And I've been really intentional in this book to, as much as possible, make it as um, inclusive in a lot of different areas of intersectionality, actually. So like deer hunting? There's deer hunting stories in this? There are deer hunting. (laughs) As I'm looking at the deer on the wall. (laughs) There are not deer hunting. Um, So no. You know, if that's your jam, I'm... Well, I will say (laughs) this. uh, My annual deer hunting trip is coming up in a few weeks. (gasps) And that is my week of rest. Oh, that's good. And I may good or may not you. see or shoot a deer, but I will be in the woods. Yeah. With my homies. Yeah. With nature. Yes. With no cell service. Yes. And it's going to be great. That's yeah, good. it's always very still. And it is rarely 
produced venison for it's the been freezer. A rough it's been a rough years. few years. It really has. But um, but it's it, you don't go for that really. You go to no, rest go to and and disconnect and get away. That's yeah. really good. That's yeah. good that you do that. Mm-hmm. And I I really I would say though that um, it it really absolutely is for men. In fact, I think about half of the endorsers on this book are men. Um, from a, a wide range of backgrounds, and um, and it is written to be a guide that, again, like gender, you know, mm-hmm. race, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, quite a bit of um, spiritual diversity within the, within this book, and mm-hmm. I I really, even though I'm coming from this with a my own mm-hmm. identity as someone mm-hmm. who identifies as Christian, mm-hmm. um, I write about. A number of other faith traditions in this book, and yeah, and how this is echoed within those. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. Yeah, um, the book comes out in January, and mm-hmm. so if we can't get it before then, <laughs> then um, what is something that our how could our listeners connect with you, or do you have other guides, or maybe your own podcast, or ways that we could? <laughs> connect with you or, or kind of get our hands on some good content to kind of be thinking before the book yeah. comes out. Yeah. No, thank you for asking. That's great. Um, yes. So I do, as you mentioned, I co-host a podcast called CXMH and the conversations are all on the intersection of faith and mental health. Um, I have a free one week self-care for helpers guide there that folks, yeah, that they can get. Um, they, if they go to my website at hollyoxhandler.com, there's a little link to, um, to sign up for that guide. And so it'll walk you through creating your own self-care plan, um, and then how to like implement that. And then those who sign up will also get my monthly newsletters with information on this intersection. Um, and I am on social media <laughs> at Holly Ox Handler too. So on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, um, same t- same handle for each of them. And then so. you are a professor at Baylor University, I am. so you're still teaching. I am. And we're about to go on break. Do yes, you guys we are. come back before January? Do you have? Because my daughter is at a different university, so she, she'll mm-hmm. have off. Like today, she's coming home and won't go back till January. Oh, wow, really? So oh, they're doing wow. the whole that's amazing. Go away and don't come back. Yeah, thing. that's good. But um, so will you continue with you know your class loads? Yeah, yeah. So I teach. I actually teach a PhD class that's online. So okay. thankfully, it's okay. going to be all online. I mean, it's been online all semester long. Okay. So yeah. So um, yes. Why? <laughs> big... Now the questions are flowing. <laughs> Why social work? Ooh. Like, why did I choose social work? Hmm. You want the honest answer? Well, I I think. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to go into psychology way back when, right? When I was like 10, Mm -hmm. when I was mentioning Mm -hmm. wanting or Mm -hmm. seeing a therapist. Um, I learned between graduating with my undergrad in psychology and before starting my master's in social work, I learned a, that I could get my degree and go into practice in two years. And so that was attractive. So you're a clinical social worker. I am. Yes. Yes. Which has a major component for those who don't know. Yes, that's right. Of 
Counseling and therapy. Yes, that's right. Yeah, actually, social workers provide the largest proportion of mental and behavioral health services in the United States. A lot of folks don't know that, Mm. but it's social workers who are providing the bulk of that work. Um, The other thing that I, when I had learned about social work, I love just the the social justice focus of it. I love the person with an environment and the ways in which systems and structures influence Mm -hmm. us so that, you know, psychology has offered us so many great, great things, but I really liked how social work zoomed out a little bit more and was paying attention to how surrounding things are impacting individuals Mm -hmm. rather than just honing in on the individual. Yeah. So that, that was really attractive to me. Yeah. So yeah. Really fascinating. We are so grateful for our social workers, oh, social Aww. work no interns, yes. our partnership with um, the the Baylor School of Social Work, Diana Garland School mm-hmm. of Social Work. It's it's really been um, for years a real, real you know relationship, and I think partnership that we have benefited from and that we have learned from along the way that's challenged us. I mean, we've definitely had interns that have been like, hey, y'all y'all are doing this right, or hey, you're using this language. Like, you might want to think mm. about that. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Um, and so it really has helped us even dig a little deeper and oh, kind of, good. yeah, do, good. do better work, you know. That's good. And we've helped them realize, hey, you're a student. Who do you, who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, we, we bit our own selves in the rear, I think, when, you know, we were super idealistic about everybody has a seat at the table, which is true. Right, right, And right. it sounds great on paper. But Bites then you in the ass really, when you give them that seat, though, I'll tell really you It's really hard to live into that ideology. Yeah. Because what it means is everybody's, everybody's got to see that's right and everybody has a voice that's right. and your voice is welcome even if it's a dissenting or a right. disagreeing one yeah and or annoying yeah <laughs> i'm sorry did that none come of up? our students though no. surely they, none they of them are, are the best. Are, are go the best. bears <laughs> well and we love challenge we're all We've human and we're yeah, all messy right. and even of course as students hello like you think about your yeah. own walk as a student yeah. and away from home and you're going through school, you're, de- you're deconstructing mm-hmm. so much in your own yeah. life and yeah. reconstructing and you've got all that that you're bringing to bear. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. and I'll, all of us knew everything at 20 years old. So I want to introduce a, little, <laughs> a, a new segment we're going to feature here on the podcast oh, okay. called H- Holly, welcome. <laughs> One last random question before okay. we go. One last okay. random question. And so we're going to do this from here on out. Don't okay. let me forget. <laughs> there One last go. random question before we go. Such an intuitive. There we go. When you went on your first date with your, who would become your husband? Yes. Did you play through your mind what it would look like to have the last name Oxhandler? <laughs> That is so random. It is. That's a great question. No, I didn't because I didn't think it was a date. Oh. Oh, the plot thickens. Do you want me to? I can tell yeah. you how we yes. met. You want yeah. to hear? Is that okay? That of course. So my husband and I, we met through MySpace. Awesome. MySpace. MySpace. Oh, my gosh. Oh, For geez. those of you who don't know, MySpace is... <laughs> OG yeah. social network. Yes. Yep. Yep. We met through MySpace and um, our first date was at a Jason's Deli in North Houston. Um, and I really, I didn't think it was a date. I was like, you know, I had just moved to Texas like within 
less than a year before. Um, and so I didn't, I still didn't know a ton of people and, and my now husband, um, then guy from MySpace (laughs) (laughs) was like, you know, Hey, let's just, let's just go grab dinner and hang out. And yeah, I was not thinking that Chandler would be my last name. That was not on my radar. I'm just, who? That's like, great. That's so good. What is going to, when you're like, I'm going to go meet a guy whose last name is Oxhandler, who I met on MySpace. Is it really his profile picture? I don't know that it is, but it could be. We we turned on the camera right Mm. before he left because I was like, I need to see who you are before we show up at Jason's Deli. So Wow. Yep. That's fascinating. And You're a bit of a risk taker. A little bit. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) That's so fun. It's where social media really, it's the good. It's yeah, there's the good. good. There there's is good, good in it. Yeah. There is some good yep. in it. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited about mm. getting to know you more and your fun date stories <laughs> about MySpace, but also just about um, this book. And I hope that it's it's a resource and a guide mm. for so many who are wanting to to realize and explore what helping yeah. in a helpful way, in a healing way, yeah. can really look like. So, Can people pre-buy the book, like on yes. Amazon and stuff? Yes, it's on everything right now. Yeah, it's okay. on Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, Fabled. Shout out to our local yes, bookstore. Sure. They can pre-order it there. Um, yeah, Templeton Press's website, it's everywhere. But it's on it, all of those links are on my website. So when they go to hollyoxhandler.com and click book, all of the links to okay. pre-order and are we'll there. And we'll put link yeah. in the show notes yes. too. And exclusive for today, if you go and pre-order the book, you will get a thank you. Maybe. Yes. Yeah, a thank we will, you. We will thank you for oh, pre-ordering the book. That's, that's awesome. what you'll get today. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> go Actually, the book. can I say can I say too? We are my team and I, we will have some pre-order goodies um, that cool. folks yes. will get. Yes. And so that's another reason I would recommend for folks to sign up for my newsletter um, because I'll send out that information of all of the pre-order goodies mm-hmm. that folks are going to get awesome. in the new future. So, okay. yep. Well, hey, thanks for coming in. Thanks That's for right. having me. It was a good visit. This was a gift. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you both. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode brought some light to your own story and hope for your journey. Make sure to subscribe and leave a comment. For more info on our work, visit JesusSaidLove.com. Until next time. Share the love.